This morning we come to the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6 in the book of Hebrews. And as I'll talk about a little bit more later, this is a little bit of a, a segue, a little bit of a, a detour from the path that the author's been leading us down. Um, beginning here in verse 11 of chapter 5 and all the way really through the end of chapter 6. Um, some pretty interesting <laughs> and uh, in many ways some difficult ground that we have to go through together. Uh, some very pointed instruction and, and warnings from the author of this letter to the, to the Hebrews that he was writing to, uh, but also to us. This morning we're going to look at the very first part of that section from verse 11 in chapter 5 through verse 3 in chapter 6. So Hebrews 5.11 to 6.3. Let me read that for us. As always, this is the very word of our living God. He's been writing about Jesus as a high priest, as the greatest high priest, greater than Aaron. And he ends verse 10 by saying he's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then the, the text resumes. About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So ends the reading again of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. May it bear fruit in our lives as we come before it here this morning. And as we do, let me pray for us once again. O oh Lord our God, we do come before you now and ask that you would bless this time that we come before your word. Speak to us this morning through your word. And do fulfill the, the promise you yourself have made that when your word goes out, it does not return to you void, that instead it accomplishes everything you purpose for it and is successful in everything that you have sent it out to do. For us, we do not want to be dull of hearing, so open our ears, open our eyes, pour out your Spirit upon us so that we might hear and see the things that you have for us this morning and make your word a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Let us see clearly so that we might walk according to what it teaches us. Father, we ask this all. In the precious, matchless name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. When I was in junior high school, I had the opportunity um, to take a foreign language. Junior high school in Seattle was three years, 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. And if you took a foreign language all three of those years, it qualified as your high school foreign language and for college admissions and all that kind of stuff. So I I thought, well, if I take it now, I don't have to take it in high school, and I qualify for college admission and all that good stuff. So I 
decided to take um, a foreign language in junior high school for three years and ended up taking French. Um, why French? Because that long ago, I won't say how many years, <laughs> Spanish wasn't as prominent a second language in America as it was today. Plus, also Canada, they're a dual language country. French is one of their official languages. So I thought, I'm near Canada, I'm near people who speak French. We get occasionally Canadian TV, um, and they have French programming. I should learn French, and so I did. Had a great teacher, a lady who had been born and raised in, in France. She was a native speaker, but on top of that, she was a great teacher. And so those of us who stuck it out for three whole years, by that third year, we were, we were getting pretty good. We could have a decent conversation. We could watch a movie and understand most of it, even if they talked really fast. Uh, we read books in French. We wrote our own skits and plays. Um, and it was fun. And learning a language is fun. And um, I, I, I remember finishing up those three years thinking, I really want to retain this ability to, do, uh, to read and to speak and to, to understand and to converse with people in this foreign language. It's one of those skills that's kind of fun, kind of neat. But once I got to high school, you're busy with other stuff. I remember reading The Three Musketeers in French because that was fun. It's one of my favorite books. Um, but other than TAing for a French teacher in my senior year, I, I didn't really do much to keep it up. And so by the time I got to college, a buddy of mine from high school wanted to do a French club and speak French once a week and keep up the language, but I just didn't have time. I had two majors going, and so I lost, through lack of use, the, the abilities that I had had. Not long after college, though, um, we were living in Tustin at the time, and our older daughters, through their school, we found out that Tustin had this wonderful program where you could send your kids to a, a little after-school club, and they could learn a language. So we thought, well... Um, one of the ones that was offered was French, and so my, my daughter started learning French. And as they were learning it, I kind of relearned some things. Vocabulary, colors, numbers, various things like that. It, but I had to go back to the beginning. All that stuff I knew, all the vocabulary, all the grammar, I had to go back to the beginning and relearn. A few years later, actually several years later, um, went to seminary and found out that the particular topics I wanted to, to study closely, church history and things related to that, there were a lot of resources in French. Most theological stuff is in Europe is written in German. I don't know German, except bratwurst or a few goofy things like that. So I thought, you know, I, I think I can pick this up again. And so I, I made an effort to, get, again, go back to the basics, go back to the simple vocabulary, go back to the... Uh, the, the initial things that we had learned, and I did build up a, a little bit of skill so that I could actually read some of these articles and get something out of them and, and use them in my research and study. Um, but again, that process of rebuilding from the ground up. Since then, I haven't used it. Now, my daughter's taking French in high school, and she comes and asks me for help, and I'm like, I'm not even sure I can remember how to say the ABCs. <laughs> And that's how it goes, learning some of these kinds of skills. It might not be a language. A lot of people learn an instrument when they're young. Piano, guitar, or something else. And you, you, get, you get fairly good at it, but practicing is a pain. 
it's boring, it's tedious. Um, and so they quit, and 10, 15, 20 years down the road, they go, you know what, I'm looking at this page of music, and it just looks like a bunch of black dots on a page to me. They lose it. And there's similar comparisons I think we can make to other skills. Now, whatever those skills might be, learning a foreign language for me, learning uh, an instrument for someone else, learning that, as fun as it is and as cool as it is, doesn't even compare to learning what Christianity is, to understanding it deeply, and to living out that faith. Another language or an instrument or some other skill might be nice to have, but true religion, and Christianity is the true religion, is a matter of life and of death. And we saw, we saw that very explicitly in our Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy 29, but there's a warning there even in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And what the writer to the Hebrews is doing here is he's admonishing his audience because they are in danger of not keeping up their knowledge and their skill in the faith. They're like I was with French, having to relearn it over and over and over again. But this is way, way more serious. And they've regressed in their understanding when he says, as we read, they should be able to teach others. What I want to look at in the passage this morning is how the author diagnoses this deteriorating situation among his readers, but then offers a little bit of encouragement and how to fix that. And he uses two ideas or two metaphors, two images uh, along the way. One is this idea of learning or teaching a subject. The other is food, and that is a subject near and dear to my stomach. Learning something, teaching something, and eating. And they're used to compare childish immaturity to mature adulthood. I want to look at those ideas in the text, understand them, how he encourages the church, and then a few thoughts on how to apply these thoughts for us today here this morning. So we begin with with this admonishment. Again, this little detour from what the author's been writing about the superiority of Christ, superior to everything, to angels, to Moses, to Aaron, um, a different kind and greater high priest. And he's deviating from that topic because he sees and needs to address a danger in the church. He can't go on to deeper ideas without first pointing out, you guys got a problem. There's an issue here that needs to be dealt with. And so from chapter 5, verse 11 to chapter 6, verse 12, we have this kind of long admonishment. There's encouragement mixed in there, but it's really a long admonishment uh, to the church. Our text, which we're going to look at today, which goes through chapter 6, verse 3, there's that famous warning about apostasy in chapter 6, verses 4 to 8, that Lord willing we'll look at next week. And then finally, an encouraging word at the end from verses 9 to 12 of chapter 6 to hold on to the promises of God, uh, followed by uh, additional instruction and encouragement about the character of God's promise and why we should hold on to it, which then leads into the promise of Jesus as a great high priest. But for now, our author is going to take this detour. He says he has much to say about Jesus as a high priest, but he's, 
he's got to do something else first. And what he's got to say about Jesus as a high priest is difficult to explain. And it's difficult to explain not because of the subject matter so much, but because his audience has become dull of hearing in chapter 5, verse 11. About this business, about this business of Jesus being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. They became dull of hearing like me with the French language because they have not persisted in learning and using what they once knew. They're not dull of hearing because they're stupid people. They have the ability to know. That they have become dull of hearing implies that they were once not dull of hearing. They were once sharp of hearing. They are capable of knowing these things, and they have shown that ability in the past. So the author is warning them. You've become dull of hearing. By now, he says in verse 12, by now in your walk of faith, you should have been able to teach other people. Instead, they themselves need to be retaught the basic principles of what God has revealed. The Greek behind that translation, basic principles, can also be translated alphabet. They need to be retaught the alphabet of the faith, the ABCs. ABC might be how easy love can be, but it ain't mature Christianity. Some of you have that song in your head now. He goes on to say in verse 13 and 14 that they become unskilled in the word of righteousness. They don't understand righteousness anymore, revealed to them by God's word. Their powers of discernment, he says, are out of training because they've not been put into constant practice. Again, it's like me with French. I kept not using it. And you don't use it, you lose it. It's interesting, when learning a language, at least for me, the hardest part is learning the verbs, the verb tenses. What is present tense? What is past tense? What is future tense? I might be able to remember the ABCs. I might be able to remember a few key nouns or other words, what a table is, what a color is. Um, But how to put that into a sentence? Lack of practice really erodes that ability. And that's what the author is saying about his audience. They have not practiced their faith. They haven't studied it. They haven't been diligent and persistent. This constant practice that he talks about in verse 14 in growing their faith and the terrible result that he's concerned about is that they are having trouble now discerning good and evil. Those who do practice have the power of discernment to distinguish between good and evil. But now they are at a place where they have failed to practice, where they have failed to put their skills to use, that they can't even, or at least they're in danger of not being able to distinguish between good and evil. And this is why they would look to angels way back in chapter 1, why they would look to Jewish rites and rituals. They can't discern what's right and wrong. Now that's the learning metaphor. They haven't learned, they haven't practiced what they learn. It continues in chapter 6, which we'll get here in a minute. But interspersed with this, at the end of chapter 5, is this little food illustration. And here, here's where I think about 
Thanksgiving, which is right around the corner, or other feasts or celebrations as a family, Christmas, a birthday, maybe just a get-together, a picnic or something. And we had a pretty big family, and it, at any get-together, it was pretty common. The adults, right, sit at the big table, and where are the kids? At the kids' table. What do kids eat? Something different than the adults. When I was a kid, I'm looking over the adult table. Let's say it's a barbecue. What are the adults eating at the adult table that came off the barbecue? Steak. Baked potatoes wrapped in foil. They're drinking adult beverages. They're, what do I have? What do my cousins and brothers and sisters have? Hot dogs and potato chips. What are we drinking? Juice. Milk. That's the way it is. And getting, getting older, growing into maturity was a big deal. I get to sit at the adult table now. I get to eat the good food. It's a sign of maturity. And this is kind of what the author is saying. If I can take that contemporary idea and put it back you know, 2,000 years ago, he's kind of saying, you're sitting at the kid's table. And you should be sitting at the adult table. You're only eating milk when you should be eating solid food. Solid food is for the mature. Those who live on milk are children. That's what he's saying in this passage. Now imagine how absurd it would be for an adult to go back and sit at the kid's table. And I don't mean the parent or the aunt or, or the, the someone who sits at the table to kind of watch over the kids. That's, there's always one who has that kind of responsibility. Sit with the kids and watch over them and make sure they're doing fine. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an adult who chooses to leave the good food, the nourishing food, to go sit with the kids and eat hot dogs and potato chips and act and eat and think and live like a kid. How, how, how foolish is that? How ridiculous and, and how tragic. Yet this is kind of the idea that the, the author's writing about here in verses 11 to 14. You used to sit at the adult table. You used to be able to, to digest mature food. But look at you now. You're, eating, you're just drinking milk. And that's all you can take. time to consider your situation and go back to eating at the grown-up table. And so he goes back to the idea of teaching and learning again in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 6. Therefore, let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Let's go on to more mature things. Two quick thoughts here about what he says. Again, this idea that the readers have regressed. He talks about a foundation that's already been laid before, and he's saying, let's not go back and lay that foundation again. Let's build on it. When he says in verse, um, in verse 1, leaving the elementary doctrine of Christ, he doesn't mean leave it behind and ignore it and forget it. What he means is leave it there as a foundation and build upon it. The foundation is just the start. No one... No one lays the foundation for a house, and then lives on the foundation. You, you build the rest of the house. 
That only makes sense. That's only common sense. Without a good foundation, the house will fall down. So you need a good foundation. You can't leave it. You can't build a foundation and then build your house over here. You build the house on the foundation. And it has to be a good foundation. Remember Jesus' story about building your house on rock versus on sand. So the author is encouraging them, build on the foundation you already have. Go on to maturity. But he also puts it in a very powerful and poignant way. Therefore, let us. Let's do this together. I'm with you. I will help you. I will guide you. And God willing, he goes on to say in verse 3, we will do this together if God permits. So the author's not just standing off as a critic, as a judge, but he's willing to get in there and get dirty and help them and walk that journey of maturity with them. Also interesting to me here in this passage is this, really the simple foundation uh, on which they are to build, or what he calls a foundation. It's interesting what the author considers basic foundational teaching. Food that he considers milk for children rather than solid food for adults. This is spiritual milk. Six items that he lists at the end of uh, verse 1 and into verse 2. Most people treat them in pairs. This is spiritual milk. Repentance and faith, washings and laying on of hands, resurrection and eternal judgment. That's the basics. That's the ABCs of the Christian faith. Basic milk Christianity is understanding repentance of dead works and faith to God. Washings and laying on of hands, resurrection and eternal judgment. Let's go through those in turn. Faith and repentance we know, or at least we should know. Works are dead. They can't do anything to bring us into a right relationship with God. This is why the author's been writing about the high priest and sacrifice of, of Jesus Christ and the need for that. Basic Christianity means we understand, we've comprehended, we've accepted, and agreed with the deadness of our good works. We see how they really are and really truly are sinful. And so we're willing to repent, willing to turn away from them toward faith in God and his works that make us alive by grace and through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son sent for our salvation. That, I think, we, we get. The ABCs also include instruction on washings and laying on of hands. This is where commentators get all wrapped around the axle. What, are, what is the writer talking about here? Washings and laying on of hands. And I, I think we can keep it fairly simple without going all through all the convoluted options these guys propose. Remember who the audience is here. The author is writing to Jewish Christians, to the Hebrews. And the Jewish religion is full of all kinds of ritual washings, including baptisms, all kinds of laying on of hands, laying on of hands for blessing, laying on of hands for anointing a king to his ministry, laying on of hands for appointing a, a priest to his ministry, or even the laying on of hands of that goat once a year to lay on that animal the sins of the people. All these intended to bring about cleanliness for the people. Washings to wash away sin, 
and impurity, laying on of hands to symbolize righteousness and cleanliness. So I think what the author is getting at here, especially in line with everything he said so far, is that the ABCs of Christianity, the basic milk of Christianity, ought to include a basic understanding that all those Old Testament rituals of the Jewish faith are now obsolete because they are surpassed by the better, superior, simple cleansing of Christian baptism and by the simple blessings that are ours in Jesus Christ. The simple things we have as Christians are superior to all the complex rituals of washing and laying on of hands that they practiced then. Do we wash today? Of course. Do we baptize today? Of course. Do we lay hands? Yes. But we don't do it to become clean, to become right before God. We have something superior, and we have it in Christ. Faith in God's work to save us is superior to our broken efforts to save ourselves through dead works. That one-time baptism we have is better, superior to the continual washings of Judaism. The simple prayer of blessing is superior to all the ritualistic laying on of hands that they practiced. And then the final pair of ABCs. Eternal life, which is superior to any life that we can manufacture for ourselves. And the judgment of God, which is more terrible than any other judgment of any other judge, because it is final and eternal. In Christ, we have eternal life. In Christ, we avoid that eternal judgment. But these things, to the author, are just basic Christianity. Milk, rather than solid food. That's the foundation on which he hopes to build, and will do so, God permitting the time to do so in verse 3. And he's going to get there in chapter 7. So some thoughts about what's going on here. Here's the author, he sees a group of believers, Hebrew-Jewish believers, who've regressed in their faith instead of progressed. And he admonishes for them, them for this, prods them to build on the foundation they have to move to greater Christian maturity. And he promises to go on this journey with them. So what do we get out of this? One is just a question that I think the author intends all of his readers to consider, including us here today. What table are you sitting at? What food are you eating? Are you satisfied with milk? Or are you seeking after that more nutritious, rich, wonderful food that adults eat? If you're satisfied with milk, then there's an admonishment. It's time to grow up. Time to move to the grown-up table. Time to eat solid food. And there's another thought that goes with this, for me at least. In the Christian faith, in the Christian life, You're either making progress or you're regressing. You can't stand still. It's either going one way or the other. We'll get to this more next week, Lord willing, when we talk about uh, uh, the warning against apostasy. But again, like me with a French language, like someone learning an instrument or some other skill, if you don't use it, the skill erodes. It doesn't stay the same. It, It disappears if you don't use it. Very similar in our Christian faith. If you're, and if you're content with milk now, there's a danger of even milk becoming too rich and losing even that food. I think of the warning 
that God gives to the Israelites as they're about to enter the promised land in Deuteronomy 29 that we read. If you rebel, if you continue to be hard of heart, if you continue to have ears that won't hear and eyes that won't see, your name will be blotted out. So those that know better, those who are capable of better, in both their knowledge of the faith and their practice of the faith, will pursue maturity and avoid regressing into immaturity. Regression is, is, is the Christian version of that movie, the curious case of Benjamin Button, the adult who becomes more and more childish the older he gets. Don't be content with milk. Don't be content to sit at the kids' table. Another idea in here is, is, is the idea that in some sense, every mature Christian ought to be able to teach others. He's not talking about the formal office of teacher in the church, just the simple idea of being able to, to teach the faith to other people, even if it's just the basics, even if it's just the ABCs. And so a question for us to ask, can I, as a Christian, hopefully a mature Christian, can I teach others about repentance from dead works, about faith in God, about the superiority of Christian uh, practice of religion against other religions, about the resurrection of the dead and about eternal judgment? I think, I think we can. And if so, good. And then you know what comes next. You've got to do it. <laughs> Find your students and teach them. Could be your own children. Could be children in a church. Could be new believers. Could be those who are just interested in inquiring and asking questions about the faith. And I'm sure there are other groups out there that could be taught. But if you can't teach those basic things, then this is the author's admonishment for us. Learn the basics. Learn the foundations of the faith so at least you can teach that to others. At least be able to teach the ABCs to other people. But also teach yourself. Find a teacher. Learn, grow, mature. Be part of the work and worship of a church where the Bible is taken seriously and where people study it and are willing to go deep into it and stay on that path to maturity and and dig in and really eat nourishing adult food. And then a final thought for the times that we live in that are so turbulent. I was struck by the goal of the instruction in verse 14 of chapter 5, that those who, who eat solid food are those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Isn't that striking? It's striking to me. Isn't that skill lacking (laughs) in today's world? The ability to distinguish between good and evil? And I think we see this inability around us in so many different ways. It's far too common. And the sad thing is it's even common in the church of Jesus Christ. Good is called evil. Evil is called good. And why? Because we are surrounded by adults who are eating milk. That's their only food. They're drinking milk, but they're calling themselves adults. Well, what can we do about that? Well, again, this goes back to teaching people the faith, helping them grow and mature in their faith so that they too can understand through constant practice and training what is good and what is evil. 
teaching begins with the house of God. This, this problem exists in the church, and so we need to be teaching our brothers and sisters in the faith. There's too many people in too many churches who are not eating good food. And if the church can't distinguish between good and evil, then, then how much worse the world around us. Judgment begins with the house of God, and so correction has to begin in the house of God. We got, we've got some house cleaning to do. Whether it's in our own congregation or in the broader evangelical church, calling people to, to go deeper, to eat more nutritiously. And then we can go beyond the church into the world around us to call the world to repentance and faith, to hear the good news of salvation in Christ, to rest on his work, not depend on their own dead works, and to grow into maturity. As I've said (laughs) repeatedly, um, I really do believe the cure for society, the cure for the inability to discern good from evil, is one thing. It's Christianity. It's our faith. And it's our mature faith. say this in general to the church around us. I say it to us as a warning and as, as an admonishment. Um, brothers and sisters, it's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to stop eating milk. It's time for us to sit at the grown-up table. And that's what the author is calling us to do. Lord willing, we will do this and we will do it together and grow into maturity in Christ. Let me pray for us as we conclude our time here. Father in heaven, uh, we do ask that you would help us to grow, to progress, not to regress in our faith, to not be content with the ABCs, the basics, uh, to not be content with drinking milk, but rather to seek better food, more nourishing food, more satisfying food, more flavorful food, and to seek to build a a house of, of a strong faith on the foundation that you have given to us. We can't do it in our own strength, so we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us, your word and the sacraments to guide us and empower us and to communicate to us the blessings and benefits that are ours in Christ. We ask that you would raise up teachers so that we might learn from one another um, and that you would create in us a deep desire uh, for those things that are better and deeper and more mature, and also at the same time to create in us a holy dissatisfaction with just eating hot dogs and chips and drinking milk um, so that we might yearn and strive uh, for those better things that you offer to us. As always, Father, we come before you and pray in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.